hopefully by now you've found your way to Genesis chapter 21. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday morning, and we've come to the study of the life of Abraham. And each week as we begin, uh, I, I remind us, we're reminded that in the New Testament, it says that Abraham is the father of all who believe there on your outline. And so each week we say that Abraham is the Old Testament example of the New Testament believer. His, he is the example of what it means to grow in faith. He's the, going to be the example of what it means to operate in faith. And so it's been a study uh, of seeing him grow in his faith. And sometimes he gets some things right, and sometimes he doesn't. And uh, so we've seen that as we've traveled through. But what I wanted to do today as we get into this, I want to give some perspective, kind of like last week, but I want to just add to it a little bit. So there on the top of your outline, as we began Abraham's life, last week we mentioned that from chapters 12 through 21, verse 1, covers a time period of 25 years. And so we've, we've been talking about that. God comes to Abraham. He gives the promise of a son, but nothing happens for 24 years. And we've talked about how Abraham spoke everything but God's promise. And he even blamed God for things not happening. But he would never speak what God said about his situation. So God had to change. We talked about how God came to Abraham. He realized that he had to change what Abraham was speaking. So God changed his name to Abraham from Abram. Abraham means father of multitudes, father of nations. And uh, when he began to speak what God said about becoming a father of nations, we hear Abraham, they heard father of multitudes, father of nations. When he began to speak that, the child that was promised, even though nothing happened for 24 years, within one year, that child was born. Well, within that 25-year time period, Genesis chapter 17 through 20, we mentioned this last week, covers about six weeks. And so we looked at that last week. Now, it might be four weeks and it might be eight weeks, but about six weeks. In chapter 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And so he begins to say, Abraham, saying what God says about his situation. And uh, as he does that in that time period before Sarah, his wife, gets pregnant, and that actually taking place is chapter 17 through chapter 20. So that covers a time period of about six weeks. Now, chapter 21, today, that promised child is going to be born. Now, chapter 21 is going to cover a time period of about 33 years. You want to write that down. Bible scholars look at that and they say it probably looks to be 33 years, and we'll see why that's important next week, because after 33 years, we're going to find next week in chapter 22, probably, I would say, one of the most fascinating chapters in all of the Bible, we're going to find that after 33 years, chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, is going to cover a time period of three days, three days. So 33 years and then three days. And we'll talk about that next week. So today as we get into this, you've heard me say so many times before, what do you leave in and, and what do you leave out? That's always the big battle. Today, we're going to get through the first 12 verses and then I'm going to let you read all the way to the end of the chapter later. But today we're going to talk about something that theologians write books about, uh, denominations divide over, and many of us struggle with. 
And so you need to know that on the front end as we get into this. So today, the promised child that we've been talking about for all of these weeks is going to be born. We're going to pick it up in chapter 21, verse 1. By the way, how's everybody doing today? Good. All right. I felt like there was this unfinished business. Like I didn't, did did I say that before? It just like hangs in my head. It's like, you've got to say it. Okay, I can move on. So, all right, chapter 21, after 24 years, verse one, it says, then the Lord took note of Sarah and he said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised, underline promise. Does your Bible say promise? Good, very important. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age and at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. It was a year earlier God spoke to him. Abraham called on the name of his son, or called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. The Bible makes a point. Sarah bore to him Isaac, Isaac. So a couple of things. First of all, you notice that, that we underline the word promise. This is going to be the promised son. He names his son Isaac, which is going to be very important. Now, Isaac there on your outline from the Hebrew uh, is a very interesting word. It's Yitzhak, Yitzhak, like that. And how did I do on that, by the way? Yitzhak. It has a, it has in the Hebrew alphabet, there is a letter and it's called a het. And we say that like that. But the way that you pronounce it in Hebrew is in the back of your throat, you go, everybody go, so it's Yitzhak, Yitzhak. If you're a Hebrew professor, don't beat me up after the service, okay? I'm doing my best here. So, but what I want you to know is that his name, Yitzhak, means laughter. Uh, It can mean the laughing one, and others would say it means the one who laughs. And so you want to keep that in mind. Very important. So he is born, this promised child. Verses four and five, it says, then, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old. And I've underlined that when his son Isaac was born to him. So if you've been following the story, you'll know that Abraham here, he's 100 years old at this point. Sarah is going to be 90 years old when she gives birth to Isaac or Yitzhak. And so she gives birth to that. Now, the reason this is important or this is important is that uh, this was the promised child that God had promised. And it's also going to be a miracle birth because she's going to be 90 years old. His birth is going to have great implications, and we're going to look at that today. Now, here's why this is so important. Right now, and I want you to write this down as we go on your outline somewhere. It's not, it's not part of your outline, but you want to write it down. This season, Christmas, we celebrate the promised child who will have a miracle birth, whose birth will have great implications. So far, so good? So we're going to see how this Yitzchak is going to be a picture of the one that we are celebrating. So verse 5, it says, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter. Now underline laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. You want to underline that? And she said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son 
in his old age. Now, I've put verse 6 there on your outline just for fun, but it says, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Now, the laughter here is sachak, like that. And am I doing good on this? Sachak. So, so the word here is the same. It's sort of like run, running, or ran. It's all the same word, but the slight differences just are, are the tenses that are involved. So it's made laughter, sachak, for me. And everyone who hears will laugh, and that word is yitzchak, yitzchak with me. So she says, everyone will laugh with me. Now, those words are going to be important for our study. But as we we see this, what I want to highlight very quickly, especially for those of us who grew up in a church culture where you always felt like God was just a little bit mad at you, I want to just show you God's grace and God's sense of humor in this. So you'll remember back in chapter 17, which was one year before chapter 21, God comes to Abram, and you'll remember Abram was 99 at that point, and Sarah was 89 at point, 89 at that point. And uh, you'll remember in that, in that chapter, God says to Abram, he says, your wife Sarah is going to have a child, to which Abram replied there on your outline, and remember, she's 89 at that point, then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And the laugh word there is yitzchak, yitzchak. And uh, so he laughs. So God says, you're laughing now, but you know what? Laughter is a great name for a baby. So God says, my covenant, there on your outline, I will establish with Isaac, which is just yitzchak right there. Everybody see that? So he says, that's who it's going to be. We're going to call him laughter. Well, then in chapter 18, which is probably two or three weeks after chapter 17, you'll remember the story. We looked at it. Abraham is sitting outside of his tent, and he looks over, and he sees Jesus and two angels walking towards him. And so he prepares a meal for them. They have a time together. And um, you'll remember that after the meal, they began to talk, and uh, God says to God says to Abraham, Sarah is going to have a baby this time next year. And you'll recall that Sarah was listening just inside of the tent. And there in your outline, you'll recall, it says, so Sarah laughed uh, to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, how will I have this pleasure? And uh, so she says, that's too, that's too amazing. It's too pleasurable for me to even consider. It would be impossible. I'm 89 years old. And so you recall that God responded to her laughter, tzachak, and uh, God responds and he says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And, uh, you know, if, you're, if, if you can speak the universe into existence, having somebody get pregnant when they're 89 years old really isn't that big of a deal. So is anything too difficult for the Lord? But when we were there, we noticed that in the Hebrew, Hebrew words sometimes have more than one meaning. When we translate into English, the translators pick one meaning, but in the Hebrew mind, uh, some words have more than one meaning. So if you take this from one translation, it says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? However, if you take it from a literal translation, the word difficult also means wonderful. And a literal translation will say, is anything too 
wonderful for Jehovah. Sarah thought it's too wonderful for me to ever have a child. It's too wonderful for me, even me to consider. So God says it's not too difficult and it's not too wonderful. But she laughed. She laughed at God's promise. And what I notice in that is as she laughs at God's promise, because he's the God of all grace, he's not offended. He's not offended at that. As a matter of fact, uh, she laughed at the promise in chapter 18, but now she's laughing with God at the fulfillment of the promise. Now, why is that so important? If you come from a church background like I do, um, if it were us, we would say, you laughed at God's promise. So you know what? God can't bless you. God won't bless you. How many of you come from kind of a background like that? Well, here's what I want you to know. Yes, he can, and yes, he will, because he's the God of all grace. And so he says, you're laughing at the promise. Later on, we're going to be laughing as it's all fulfilled. Do you find that interesting? I love that. Well, verse 8, it says, now the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So, so you, you want to keep in mind that there's going to be big gaps in this chapter. This gap is going to be somewhere between three to five years. If you read a modern commentary, it'll say he was weaned when he was three years old. However, if you read an ancient commentary of the Jewish people that they had a thousand years before Jesus was born, they would say that, that Isaac was five years old when he was weaned. So I, I take that, that perspective, but, you know, it's not a hostile thing. It's just, you know, so it's three years, five years, either way. Well, so he's weaned. There's a great feast. And then verse 9, it says, Now Sarah saw the, and you want to underline, son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she, Hagar, had born to Abraham, mocking. Now, you and I know the son of Hagar, that his name is Ishmael. And we'll talk about him, but you want to highlight, you want to just pay attention that Ishmael will be unnamed in this chapter. It's going to talk about him, but it's never going to give his name. So you want to write that down. Ishmael was the son of the wife that Abraham was never supposed to have. And you'll recall that in chapter 16, although God had promised to give a son, nothing happened for 10 years. So because nothing happened, uh, Sarah, she comes up with an idea, Sarah, Abraham's wife, and she says, you know, it's not happening, but we want to see it happen. So Sarah gets the idea to give a servant of hers to Abraham as a wife. And so she, this birth to Ishmael. Middle East, 4,000 years ago, don't try this at home. So the idea of the idea is that this was never God's plan. This was not how God wanted to bring things about. So they had Ishmael from the wife that God never wanted Abraham to have. So Hagar gets pregnant. And it was back in chapter 16 that we were told something about this Ishmael's personality, which is going to be important today. It says, Ishmael, there in your outline, will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility, hostility towards all his brothers. So he's going to be out of control. He's going to be hostile. So we, we saw that. 
Well, back in chapter 17, which is a year before chapter 21, in chapter 17, we were told this there in your outline. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. You want to underline that when he was circumcised. So that's chapter 17. Sarah will get pregnant. The next year, they have a child. He will be 14 years old when, he is, um, when, when Isaac is born. Um, and then you have a few years until Isaac is weaned, and there's this celebration. Now, depending on whether you hold that he was weaned at three, three years or five years, I hold five. So you want to write this down, but Ishmael is about 19 years old at this point. So he's not a little kid. He should know better. Some would say he's 17 years old. Others hold that he's 19, but he's old enough to know better. Well, Sarah observes him mocking her child, Isaac. Now, very interesting, the word mocking, I put it there in your outline. It's the same word for laughter, but you just notice that here it's m-sachach, m-sachach. The m on the front makes this negative. And so you take that word, it means to laugh outright with scorn or to mock. It looks a lot alike, but it's going to be very different. So laughter was born to Sarah. He wants to turn it into scorn or mocking. So keep that in mind. Now, the New Testament is going to tell us that he did more than mock. It's going to say that he was persecuting Isaac, who's probably five years old at this point. So Sarah had waited 25 years to have this promised child. But whatever was happening, whatever this Ishmael was doing to her child, who's about five years old, she realizes that it's no longer safe for the two of them to dwell together. One of them is going to have to go. Ishmael is old enough to know better, so the blame rests with him. And so what happens? Well, verse 10, it says, therefore, she said that to Abraham, drive out. You want to underline drive out. This maid and her son, and you notice that Ishmael's name is never mentioned in this chapter. It, the, this maid and her son. For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Well, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So what is Abraham, the father of faith, what is he going to do in this situation because he has a decision to make. Now, the part that I want to get into, and, and uh, I said this before, let me say it again. The part that we're going to look at now is the part that theologians write books on. It's the part that denominations will divide over. We're going to cover in a few minutes, but I realize on the front end that I'm not going to do justice to this topic, but I want to give you enough not to finalize your thinking, but at least to begin thinking about these things. Okay, so far? Have I put you to sleep yet? No. Okay, well, this is going to do it, so you just pay attention. So, <laughs> so you have here, um, the Bible tells us that what's happening in this chapter is actually a picture of something that's going to happen 2,000 years in the future. Abraham is married to Sarah. She's the, the free wife. Sarah doesn't get pregnant, so Sarah has the idea to have Hagar. Hagar is a servant. She's a wife, but she doesn't have the freedoms that Sarah would have. So she takes the 
servant girl, gives her to Abraham. And of course, you know the story. Hagar gets pregnant and Ishmael is born. Ishmael in the Bible is always man's attempt to do God's work with human effort. And you'll get that throughout the entire Bible. So Paul in the New Testament, he writes to the churches of Galatia. Galatia is a region. There's a number of churches there, and he writes to the region. These churches, these people had come to Christ. They become believers, but they came from a very strong Old Testament background. They knew the story of Ishmael and Isaac, probably back and forth. The Galatians came from a strong Jewish background, but they began to teach that you can be a Christian, but in order to be a good Christian, you're going to have to follow what we would call the Old Testament rules, rituals, and regulations. And so they began to spell those out for people. They would teach things like, if you're going to follow the Lord, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to worship on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is Saturday, and people who worship on Saturday are called Sabbatarians. How many of you have ever heard of the Seventh-day Adventists? Okay, so they would be Sabbatarians. So the Galatians were teaching you have to worship on the Sabbath or Saturday. They taught that if you're going to be a good Christian and you're a Gentile and you come to the Lord and you're a guy, you have to be circumcised. Well, Gentiles didn't really do that. So you can imagine, you say, I love Jesus. And they go, that's great. We have this little surgery. We want you to take care. And, you know, they say, what? You know, I'll stay pagan kind of thing. But, but they, they taught that. Well, then they taught, well, not only that, if you're, if you're going to be a good Christian, you're going to have to eat the foods that the Old Testament laid out. So no more lobster, no more pulled pork, no bacon. Can you even imagine such, such a thing? Am I the only one who feels distress? So Paul writes and he says, I need to clear this up as to what it really is. So again, I'm going to talk about in a few minutes the things that people write books on. I've condensed Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses. I want to encourage you, later on, read the entire chapter. So we just want to read a few things to get, to, uh, get some handles on it. So Paul is writing to this church, these churches, who are trying to make people you know, follow all these rules, rituals, and regulations, although they become Christians. And Paul says, tell me, you who want to live under the law. Abraham had two sons. You might want to underline that. One from his slave wife, I've underlined that, that's Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, and I've underlined that. So you have Sarah and Hagar. Hagar is a wife, but she doesn't have the freedoms that, that Sarah would have. He goes on and he says, now these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. One would be the Old Testament, the other one would be the, the New Testament. So they represent two covenants. He says the first woman, Hagar, represents the law that enslaved them. You want to underline the law that enslaved them. That would be the Old Testament rules, rituals, and regulations that they had to keep. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, underline free, free woman, and she is our mother. That is the New Testament with all of its freedoms. And she, she is our mother. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise 
Underline that, just, just like Isaac. Remember, he was the promised child. But you are now being persecuted, underline persecuted, by those who want to keep, want you to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted, and I've underlined persecuted, Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Sarah was 90 years old when she gives birth to the promised child, uh, who is the child who was born by the power of the Spirit, just like you and I as we are born again. Ishmael here is more than just mocking. We're told that he is persecuting the one who was born by the Spirit. So keep that in mind. Paul continues, and he says, but what do the Scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. That is the Old Testament, uh, not the Old Testament, the Old Covenant with the rules, the rituals, and regulations as far as it uh, being upon the believer. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Paul concludes, we are not children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. Again, I've condensed that, and you want to read that later on. So as an illustration, a few things that you need to know. First of all, uh, both Ishmael and Isaac are both uh, sons of Abraham. You want to write that down. And Abraham loves both of them. And God has a plan for both of them. But the plans are mutually exclusive. So you want to keep that in mind. Both sons are the result of two women. Two women, he tells us that's two covenants. So covenants. You want to write down covenants. Two very different covenants. We would say the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hagar, we're told, represents the Old Testament law, which emphasized keeping the rules by human effort. And he says that enslaved them. They were enslaved because there were so many rules, rituals, and regulations. You were always trying to keep up with them. And it was, it was endless. You could, never, you could just never keep up. You stayed right with God in the Old Testament based upon your behavior and your ability to keep the rules, the rituals, and the regulations. So it's very different. So if you didn't keep the Sabbath, you weren't right with God. If uh, you didn't follow the, the dietary laws, you weren't right with God. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't right with God. That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Sarah, on the other hand, represents the New Testament, which emphasizes grace and freedom. Remember, we were just told she's the free woman. She represents that. That would be freedom from the endless lists of rules, rituals, and regulations that you find in the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we're not right with God because of our behavior. We're right with God because of what he did for us on the cross. He paid the price. So it's not based upon our behavior. Our behavior does not make us right with God. Us receiving what he did for us on the cross, that's what makes us right with God. In the new become born again. Notice there in your house, the love of God has been who was given to us. When you be out, his love in your heart pours out his holy, through the Holy Spirit, the news change. Your want-tos change. So I would say for me, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband, and I want to be the right representation of Christ. 
But if I miss it, if I don't get it completely right, and none of us do, that doesn't change the fact that I am right with God because I'm not right with God based upon my behavior. I'm right based upon what he did for me on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're right because of what he did, not because of what we do. The result, and you want to write this down, one will bring freedom and the other brings slavery. That's what he said. It enslaved them. It enslaved them because it was never enough. It was never enough. You couldn't keep it all. Freedom, it brings the new covenant because it's not based upon what I do. It's based upon what he did, what he did. Ishmael, but here's what you'll find. Ishmael, which represents works, will always mock Isaac, we would say, laughter, laughter. Isaac is the one that was born by the power of the Spirit. We just read that. Those who have the rules, the list, will always mock those who just want to please the Lord, but they don't have a bunch of rules. They will mock those who've had the love of God poured out in them by the Spirit who don't have a lot of rules, and they'll say something like, so you're saying it's okay if you... No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is when we became born again, God poured out his spirit, the love of, of his, his love in us with his spirit. And what it did is it changed our want tos. So even if we don't get it completely right, the truth is I'm assuming you're here today because you do want to get it right, don't you? And, and so that's, the, that, that's the, one of the signs that you're actually born again. So these two covenants, Hagar and Sarah, one would produce laughter, it's joy. The other produces mocking. And uh, the end result is that you can't mix the two. So what we find is, and you want to write this down, the two cannot dwell together in peace. They can't dwell together in peace. One of them has to go. One of them has to go. The Galatians that Paul writes to, they were trying to mix God's grace with the rules, rituals, regulations of the Old Testament. We would say they're trying to mix God's grace with a list of rules that they felt that the people had to follow, that the Bible doesn't actually speak about. So you say, well, how does that work out today? Well, I'm going to suggest that in today's world, there are times where churches will talk about, yes, it's great that Jesus died on the cross, but here's what you have to do. And they mix the two. So for instance, some churches say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We all get that. But you have to go to church this many times a week in order to stay right with God. They'll say, if you do something wrong, then you have to say this prayer so many times. They'll say, if you do something wrong, you have to make sure that you have confessed it in order to stay right with God. My aunt used to say that she maintained a state of grace. Now, how many of you come from a church background like that? Okay, so that's mixing what he did, but then you're kind of having to do your part to be right with God. Other churches will say, yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but this is what you have to do to stay right with God. Now, there was a time when I was in a church, 
And um, we had to sign a covenant, and the covenant stipulated certain things that you could do. And I wrote these down. First of all, no alcohol ever under any circumstance, no tobacco, no movies, and no dancing. How many of you come from a church background kind of like that? So if you snuck out and you went to the movie, you weren't convicted by that, but you're looking around to see if anybody else from church is going gonna, is gonna to see what you do. Oh, I'm the only person who went through that. So your behavior wasn't motivated because the love of God was poured out by his spirit. Your behavior was motivated because somebody else had a list for you to keep, and the Bible doesn't really talk about that. Does that make sense? So here's how it works for me. I, I, I always say, when I go to a restaurant, I can always tell who goes to this church, and I know what your church background is. So I walk into a restaurant, three guys sitting at a bar, all have beers. I walk in and they go, Pastor Dan! I go, ah, Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, right there. <laughs> and I'm like, good for you, good for you. Because I, I really don't, I don't care. I don't think that it's wrong. But the most fun are the ones where I walk in and I walk into the, into the restaurant and they have a drink on their table and they see me and I know they go to this church because they have that deer in the headlight look, like this. And so I walk in and they, they think I care. So I, and I know you go to this church because the first thing that you do is you take that little stand-up menu and you build a tent around your drink. <laughs> so I don't see. I see everything. But just so you know, I don't care. I don't think that it's wrong. But here's what I always do. When I see you do that, I always run up to your table and I go, aha. <laughs> I don't think it's wrong, but the look on your face when the pastor walks in is priceless. <laughs> so there, you're not convicted by that. You don't think that it's wrong but you think that when I walk in, I have this list that I'm judging you by. And so many people, they try to mix the two. Even though they're not convicted, they think they're supposed to keep a list that the Bible never actually speaks of. So there on your outline, because the two covenants can't live in peace, in order to be the father of faith, Abraham has to choose one of the two women, we would say covenants, and divorce the other. Now notice verse 10. Verse 10 says, therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid. When it says to drive out, the Hebrew word there is garage, and it means to drive out from a possession, especially to expatriate or divorce. And you want to, you want to underline divorce. In that culture, as it is today, you didn't just send a woman out. There had to be a legal document. There had to be a legal ceremony. There had to be a divorce decree. In that divorce decree, what it said was, she no longer has claim over me, and I no longer have claim over her. Our relationship is now separate, and it's over. It's over because the two can't exist together. So that's how it is with the old covenant, Paul says. Paul says you have to drive out. The two covenants cannot coexist together. They can't dwell peacefully with one another. Well, verse 
uh, verse 11, this is difficult for Abraham. It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. This is a difficult thing. I think it's difficult for many of us in church world because we grew up in a kind of a two-covenant kind of church environment. So it's very hard for us to say, I'm no longer going to live with that list. Now, my, my list now is, Lord, your love has been poured out in my heart by your spirit, so now I want to live a life that's pleasing to you, but it's not based upon a list. So let me make that clear. Verse 12, it says, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because the lad and your maid, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac, laughter, your descendants shall be named. So practically, you write this down, Abraham is called to say goodbye to a destructive relationship. That's on the practical side. On the spiritual side, it's destructive when you live your Christian experience based upon a list that other people have given to you. If the love of God has not been poured out in your heart by the Spirit, then all the rules in the world won't make you more spiritual. The Pharisees had all the rules, and they completely missed it completely missed it. However, if the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, your want to has changed because now you want to please God. And when that happens, you don't need a number of rules, rituals, and regulations to follow because now your desire is to please God. And what you find is that when you are when God's love is poured out in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, in your heart by the Holy Spirit, what you find is you're a whole lot less critical of other people because you realize they're just trying to figure it out just like you, and it gives you a great deal of grace. Again, this isn't to finalize your thinking, but hopefully to begin your thinking. The two covenants cannot exist peacefully together. Most people are frustrated in their Christian life because they're trying to merge two covenants. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, as far as being a Christian, I'm not going to be because I just can't do it? It's because they've been taught it's the merging of two covenants. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. Did you find that interesting today? Good. So as we close in prayer... If you've rejected Jesus because you were taught that it was a list, you have the opportunity today to say, I want the Jesus, I want his love poured out in my heart by his spirit, change my want to so that I'm following you, not based upon a list, but following you in relationship. So if you want that today, you have that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, we look to you and we say, Lord, we want the Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the one who gave grace, uh, the one who brought laughter, the one who doesn't call us to follow a list, but the one who pours out his love in our hearts with his spirit and changes our want-tos. And as you change our want-tos, we desire to follow you. And he says, if you invite him in, he'll never leave. The Bible calls it being born again. Sometimes it's called being saved. But if that's you today, that's your new relationship with him and your new position in him. 
Father, thank you for this congregation. Help us to think on these things. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next time.